0: During this Christmas season, there are many ways we can uh, think about and approach the the reflection biblically uh, on the season. Of course, this is the time when we think of the birth of Christ. And I like to, as I think about all that led up to that and think of the, the, when we think of the Christmas from the incarnation which began back at Nazareth all through until the birth of Christ in Bethlehem nine months later, I like to uh, just think in, in different perspectives. And we've been looking at it these, this month in terms of uh, through different trying to see Christmas through different eyes. Uh, we've thought about Mary and we've thought about Joseph. And today, I'd like to uh, look at it from the perspective of the angels. Now, this is difficult. With Luke, especially, he, he talked to Mary and, and got her perspective. And, and And we gained, too, from Joseph's perspective, though he was gone from the scene by the time Christ went to the cross in his public ministry, and yet uh, we can guess and sense something of his per- response just in what he said and did. We also are told about the angels, but we really don't, aren't told their feelings and thoughts, so I will try and fill that in today. Uh, I've talked to them all week. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll, but we can try and, and gain some thought about it, and so I'd like to look at the angels of Christmas, for certainly they are in abundance. Uh, I, I listened to a message from uh, R.C. Sproul recently and, and he was talking about the fact, and I've got to check this out maybe in, knowing you, uh, you'll be doing that on your phones before the service is over, <laughs> but but he says the word angel is, a, is really frequent in the New Testament. Uh, for example, you'll find the word angel more frequently than you were, will find the word sin. I would never have guessed that, so I've got to do some searching myself and just see how that all fits out but they are in abundance in the scriptures and especially you see them around the christmas message and experience i think i should probably express what are angels there's all kinds of myths about angels aren't there you know they get their wings when they do some good deed or when a bell rings another angel got their wings not in the bible (laughs) Uh, there's so many other ideas one of the ideas you'll hear sometimes is that an angel is is, is someone who has died. It's their soul. No. Angels are created beings just like you and I are. Uh, they are created by God. John 1.3 All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So Jesus was involved in creating all the angels as well as everything else. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Those are references to uh, various angels. And so angels are not eternal, uh, but rather created by God. We're told in Job that they rejoiced at creation. So they were created early in the creation week, but they are created spirit beings. Some... Uh, have have were kept faithful to the lord we call those ones the angels those who rebelled demons well we could spend a lot of time on that but i just want to get a perspective of who these persons these beings are um, c.s lewis said this it should be but is not unnecessary to add that a belief in angels whether good or evil does not be- mean a belief in either as they are represented in art and literature So in other words, be careful of getting your theology from art, literature, and especially from movies. Devils are depicted with bat's wings and good angels with bird's wings. Not because anyone holds that moral deterioration would likely turn feathers into membrane, but because most men like birds better than bats. (laughs) So so that kind of explains where did this idea of what they're supposed to look like. And of course, Satan, you know, with with the... uh, hooves and horns and a tail. No. Um, and so we need to think biblically about them. The word angel in, in Greek and in Hebrew basically means a messenger. And in Hebrew, the word uh, messenger is related to the word task or duty. So someone who's, who's sent on a mission. Angels take a special interest in God's grace to sinners. We can't develop it much, but the book of Hebrews talks about the fact that there is no savior for angels. There's no redemption. Those who rebelled are, are, are lost eternally, without hope. And so angels marvel that we are recipients of God's grace. Uh, in 1 Peter 1:12, we're told that the that they 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 long, to, they long to sneak a peek of you, Well they long to study um, the gospel truths. That's First 1 Peter 1:12. 1, talks about how the prophets brought this message, and angels marvel at it. it it's, they, they, the, the gospel which came to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. It's foreign to their experience, and so they look at it with a sense of wonder at God's grace. Interestingly, since though, though that redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness is foreign to them, they rejoice over it. Luke 15, 10 says, uh, Likewise I say to you, Jesus said, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, so they take joy in, in the gospel of salvation, even though it's foreign to their experience. We could talk about the fact that if they know every time a, a sinner repents they 're watching us, First Corinthians talks about the, you know, our worship should be not offensive to angels by being disordered. they, they like order they, they want to honor the Lord and when we, if, if our worship dishonors the Lord, they take offense. Like maybe when you know the, the British royal family is kind of in the news lately, maybe if you've picked up on some of that, but you know, have you ever seen all the guards around the, the, the palaces and all that if, if you were to get, get up there and start speaking. And, and saying things horrific about the uh, royal family. I'm sure those guards, they might not do anything, but they'd probably take great offense at it because they honor those. Well, the angels honor the Lord and take great offense if we dishonor him. Well, let's talk about some of the characters, the angels of Christmas. First one that comes to mind is Gabriel. You know, Gabriel is the one that came and spoke to Zechariah and to Mary. Uh, Speaking of counting up uh, times of appearance, the word named Gabriel as the angel Gabriel only appears uh, four times in the scriptures, twice in Daniel, and we see him here in in Luke. In Daniel, uh, he is sent by God to, to explain to Daniel the visions he was having about God's plan for the future and God's plan for Israel. It was Gabriel that came to Daniel and And explained the visions to him. So that's an important mission. And that's his first appearance by name in scripture. In both places, Israel uh, and in Luke, Israel was under foreign oppression. And God God was announcing that he had a plan for Israel that was greater than this foreign oppression. In Daniel's case, he was a captive in, in Babylon and ultimately then Persia. But God was saying, Babylon and Persia are not the end of the story. God was going to restore his nation and had plans for sending a king. In Luke, they're under the boot of Rome. And God sends Gabriel and says, this isn't the end of the story. God is sending a savior. God is sending the Messiah of promise. So Luke comes to announce the Messiah who was promised is coming. It, it, it had been in the, in the, on the books for, for centuries. It had been the hope of God's people from the Garden of Eden. And Gabriel has the joyous privilege and responsibility of announcing the time has come. The Messiah is coming to earth. In, in Luke chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, uh, we, we read some of that, where he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Well, let, let me go back a little bit and, and, and read where he says, he, he an angel of the Lord appeared, Luke chapter one, starting at verse 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to, to Zacharias who was offering incense in the temple. When Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayers heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you should call his name John. John was an an elderly priest at this time, he was offering incense in the holy place. Right before the veil, there was a little golden altar where they offered incense. Right behind that was the veil. Right behind that, the Ark of the Covenant and place of God's holy presence. Literally, a priest could only one time have the privilege, the high privilege, of offering incense. And so this was such a sacred and precious moment. Imagine it, if you will, being interrupted as he's there at the altar and there next to it is an angel. He was probably shocked, startled um, but the angel came and, and speaks speaks words of, of revelation to Zecharias, This elderly couple who had given up hope in having a child are now going to have a child. It's going to be a boy and his name is going to be John. Well, he fills in more details but if you skip down to verses 18 19 20 Zechariah says uh, to the angel how shall I know this for I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years and so what he's saying is he's doubtful how are we going to have a child we're too old that's not the right answer when God sends you a message but we see here you know we always pick on doubting Thomas how about Doubting Zacharias? Uh, maybe we should rename him. When you meet him in heaven, mention. Hey, by the way, he got a new nickname for you. You're Doubting Zacharias. And he probably would cast his eyes to I know, I know. Anyway, so he says, how will I know since we're too old for this? Verse 19, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. So he begins by describing who he is. He, he flashes his credentials. I'm Gabriel. Now, that, now, now Zacharias would have known that name because he knew the book of Daniel. I am the one who brought the message of God's promise to Daniel. And Daniel didn't give me any talk back. <laughs> I'm the one who spoke to Daniel. But more than that, he says, I am he who stands in the presence of God and I've been sent by God with this message and, and if I could fill in and this is your response verse 20 but behold you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their own time so what he, he, he basically says you're arguing with me? You're doubting me? I'm Gabriel. Again, biblically famous. Tied with one of the great heroes of the faith, Daniel. Godly Daniel. Bold Daniel. Used of God, Daniel. But then he also says, I stand in the presence of God. That is, expression is used of only one other uh, group of angels that I can find. And that's in, in Revelation chapter 8. The seven angels who are going to blow the seven trumpets of God's judgment, we're told, stand in the presence of God. And it's interesting, in the context, there's also mention of incense burning on an altar. And so Gabriel says, I am one of the few angels who stand in the presence of God. Now, we're not told if he's one of the ones that blows those trumpet judgments. But he's he's not just even an, can I say it, an ordinary angel. I'm not sure there is such a thing. But he is one of the, the great angels, one of only two that are named, in, uh, two good angels named in the Bible. And when he gave his message to Daniel, Daniel didn't argue with him, even though it was strange things. Zechariah is arguing, he's questioning, he's doubting. And for that, he is struck so he can no longer speak. It's interesting as we'll follow through, you'll notice Zechariah is the only one who questions the angelic revelation. So poor Zechariah, he's got a reputation to to deal with. And again, we'll talk to him later in in heaven and see his thoughts on it. But, But so here we see Gabriel bringing the message that God keeps his promises. And now is the time of fulfillment. And you can imagine his sense of wonder Doubting Zecharias, And he can probably, that's a good clue to Gabriel, this isn't going to be easy. And it's kind of a clue. The Messiah himself will face doubt, resistance, and rejection. Well, the next appearance of Gabriel is when he goes to speak to Mary. We see this... uh, In chapter 26, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and following, I'll skip around a little bit again. In verse 26, now in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So here he is against, he hasn't been seen in 500 years since Daniel. Now we see him twice in six months. Verse 28. He went up to Nazareth and coming into the home where she was busy with chores, I assume, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. She'll call his name Jesus. Now to verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now notice the difference between Zechariah, the, the Gabriel's interaction with Zechariah and with Mary. Zechariah is... Uh, in one of the most amazing places in the world, he's in the temple itself, right, right in front of the veil, right behind which is the Ark of, of Covenant, the the Holy of Holies, is right behind that veil. A beautiful building, but and a holy building and a sacred building. Mary, not in Jerusalem, the capital of God's people, but rather Nazareth, kind of a nothing village. Uh, archaeologists tell us. Maybe two hundred people lived there, a humble village, a humble woman, a humble home. But notice too the difference: Uh, Zechariah, an older priest, a man who's supposed to be a teacher of God's word; Mary, a young woman, busy about things of her household chores. When he met Zechariah, he talked about his credentials. When he meets Mary, he begins by announcing her blessings. Grace from God. Now, we're told she was troubled. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. She's troubled by his words. What can this mean? How can God be sending a message to me? He goes on to explain. So her question isn't, that can't be Right. Her question is, how? And he explains, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will conceive. It, it'll be, and that's why this one will be holy. But so he's, he's getting a different response and, and responding to it differently. Again, the question I wonder is, what was, what was Gabriel's response to this assignment? Between talking to Zacharias and now talking to Mary. He understood its significance. He might be thinking back to the message he gave to Daniel about God's plan. Um, and, and, and he's thinking about Zacharias and his reluctance and talking to Mary. He sees her response. Again, as I mentioned, angels long to understand the gospel and, and to rejoice every time someone believes. They rejoiced at creation. Again, Job tells us that. When Job asks, God asks Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So God looks back to when he created in the very beginning before man existed, before Job was there and said the angels sang for joy at creation. Because they could see the hand of God at work and see his, his, his artistry and his excellence and his, his majesty. And so in the same way, they take joy in salvation. God at work, bringing a heart that's dead to life, bringing light into a, a dark heart, and redeeming a lost soul. So with that, Gabriel must have been delighted. He was delighted to tell Zecharias, even though he was kind of reluctant, He must have been delighted to see Mary's response. Believing obedience. She took the message to heart. Wanted to better understand. But what were her words? Behold your handmaiden. And so he must have been just rejoicing to see this this young lady. Again, a, a young teenager. He must have been rejoicing. And his heart must have warmed to see her love for the Lord. With, we talked about this. Mary knew this was going to be tough. And so how he must have rejoiced to see a willing servant because that's what he is. Well, let's go forward to now Joseph. So Gabriel passes from the scene. We saw him in Daniel. Daniel. We see him at the beginning of Luke. And I'm not saying he's no longer busy, but we're just not told anything else about him. And so now we move over to Joseph. He doesn't get Gabriel. Uh, He gets uh, what I call dream angels. The first one comes to him. He's heard the message. And so uh, he's heard word, apparently, that Mary is with child. Apparently she hasn't spoken to him. Because uh, we're told that uh, he he became aware of this. When he found out, so again, as we talked about it last time, Mary had, uh, you know, the the miracle had happened of conception in, in Nazareth. She went down to see Elizabeth. She was there three months or maybe a little bit more. So by the time she came back, she must have been showing a little bit. And the word quickly spread. The one who had promised her faithfulness to Joseph was with child. That takes us to Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Joseph was thinking, well, what do I do? We're told, being a just man, he thought to divorce her quietly. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So, in a so in a dream, he 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 imag- he he is he's told a, a revelation from an angel. Now, again, how how did he know this was not just a dream? But God apparently made it very clear to him. This is an angelic revelation. Uh, while you're sleeping, the angel invades his dream. And you can imagine he went to bed, you know, thinking about, how he's been so anxious about this, broken-hearted, trying to see the the way to go forward, and an angel comes into his nighttime dream, his fitful sleep, and tells him what he needs to know. He had decided since she had been unfaithful that he would divorce her. He was broken-hearted and ashamed but he didn't want to expose her to shame and he didn't want to make anything things things more difficult for her for he he could have made a very public spectacle about that but instead he chose the quiet way we'll just quietly divorce and be done with it but the angel invaded his sleep and said oh no you don't (laughs) Uh, you need to understand you can't do that an angel appears in the dream son of Joseph take her to you as a wife He goes straight to the point. Forget the divorce. Mary hasn't betrayed you. The Holy Spirit has done this. It's a holy thing, not a sinful thing. And then the angel tells him about the one who will be born. Mary's going to give birth to a son. We ask that question now. When someone, you know, oh, they're expecting a child. Do they know yet? You know, nowadays we know through technology. Back then... You found out at birth, though everyone speculated, right? Oh, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a girl. But he's told right up. And so this was miraculous. It's going to be a son. And you, Joseph, by the way, you sometimes we're not sure. If you're, now, if you're reading the King James, um, it's, you can tell the singular from the plural. But otherwise, in the, you have to rely on the Greek here. It's singular. Joseph, you are going to name this child Jesus. You're not going to divorce Mary. She's going to give birth to a son, and you are going to name him Jesus. Now, that word Jesus, there's question, what's the Hebrew equivalent? It could be the word Yeshua or Yehoshua. Yeshua is just the basic Hebrew word for salvation. You might name him salvation, and there were some who carried that name. Or you name him Yehoshua. That's the name Joshua, which means the Lord, Yahweh, is salvation. Um, So Joshua, the book of Joshua, in Greek it's the book of Jesus. And so either way, he's speaking of, that boy's name is to to speak of his mission. He has come to be the Lord's salvation. And again, we need to remember, so many people, when they think of Messiah coming to save them, they're thinking, Messiah will come to save us from Rome from high taxes, from oppression, from the invasion of this pagan culture that they saturate all around us. You'll be saved from Rome. But what does he tell Joseph? Your son, you're going to name him Jesus, salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a good reminder for us. Our greatest need is not political reorganization. It's not a more satisfying taxation system. Of course, the most satisfying taxation system is none. But, but in other words, he's saying it isn't. what you need is not political. It's not military. Man's greatest need is sin. And Jesus is going to address man's greatest need. He will save you from your sin. Now, again, this is an interesting thing for an angel to say because it, you know, in this angel's experience, you know, when we talk about salvation to what other people, we can speak from our own experience. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Or what John Newton said, saved a wretch like me. It's been said that sharing the gospel is basically like one, one poor beggar telling another poor beggar where to find food. But the angel has never known sin. And yet he can announce to Joshua, to Joseph, he's going to save you from your sin. He's a savior from sin. And then he says goes on in verses 23 and says behold the virgin shall be with child, quoting Isaiah 7 just as the scripture says the virgin will bear child and bear, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. He did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. I love that last verse, verse 25 or verse 24 and 25. The angel said, Don't divorce her, marry her, and name his son Jesus. And what does it say? As soon as he woke up, what did he do? He went running to Mary and said, Mary, we're going to get married. I'm not going to divorce you. I don't know if she would heard that, you know, rumors or whatever, but, but you're going to have a son, and his name's Jesus. And she said, I know. Husbands hate that. <laughs> but, but, but an angel told me. What well, an angel told me too. And so they probably compared notes, but... But notice what I like about that. The angel said, this is what you're going to do. As soon as he woke up, he got busy. We've said a number of times is obedience is only obedience if it's immediate and complete. And Joseph shows he's a man of faith because of his immediate and complete obedience. Immediate. Right then he got working on the marriage. And, and some of you think, well, you know, we know how a lot of times weddings were, Elaborate affairs. The reception was seven days long. Some of us have been to receptions that seem like that. But, but it, was, it was an elaborate thing. They, they, they must have short-circuited it all and, and went straight to, let's just get this marriage settled so there's no longer a question. Your child is my child. And then we're told the end of the story, if you will, when the child's born, he does exactly what the angel said. His name is Jesus. Joseph showed his faith by his ready obedience. Again, the angel delighted to see, as because that's what the angels are. They're, they're quick to obey and delight in, in, in honoring the Lord. And Joseph showed the same thing. He's much more like trusting Mary than doubting Zacharias. Well, then we're told another angelic encounter. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 13. We're skipping right over the wise men. They've come. They've brought their gifts. They've met with Herod. Herod has learned something that is horrible to him. There's a a king born. A true king. That's a threat to his throne. And so he's going to rage against Jesus. But we skip over that to mainly come to verse 13. Now... When they had departed, the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord. Again, we're not told, is, is it the same angel? So, we're not clear that it's Gabriel. But an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So we're, again, we don't know who this angel is. Again, he comes in a dream. And again, speaking to Joseph. Here... He's, he's prote- he, these angels are protecting God's plan. Joseph, if you divorce Mary, you'll mess everything up. Mary, Mary. And he does. And now, Herod wants to mess everything up. And so he comes to Joseph again and says, Joseph, get Mary and the child out of here. Go to Egypt. So the angels like announcing God's messianic program and like preserving, protecting it. And he, what, what are we told in verse 14? When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt again. True obedience is immediate and complete. As soon as he woke up from hearing the revelation, what did he do? He got busy, said, Mary, we gotta go. We're going to Egypt. We might wonder why Egypt? Well, um, That's out of Herod's territory. Herod couldn't go to Egypt chasing down the child. And so uh, they they left the area controlled by Herod in Israel and went down to Egypt, which is just following down Bethlehem. They'd probably gone quickly over towards the Mediterranean coast, followed that around, and, and where they went in Egypt, we're not told. But away from Herod's domain, But again, how it must have pleased the angel! Instead of arguing, instead of questioning, instead of dallying around, he believed, he obeyed, to the angel's delight. Then we skip over it, and we're not sure how far, how long it's been. But now we see the angel coming and announcing new directions while they're in Egypt. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. So he arose and and, and there it is again. Comes in a dream, he wakes up, he gets busy. He arose, took the young child and the mother and came into the land of Israel. Herod the Great, we're told, had died. We know from history that's about 4 B.C. Um. He left his son, Uh, his sons kind of divide up the territory. Uh, The one who was over the regions of Judea, Idumea, and Samaria, those are kind of connected regions, was Herod Archelaus, his son. And so uh, Jesus is, is safely there. Herod's dead at four BC. Sometime while Archelaus is still alive, Jesus returns to Israel. So we've got that little window of about ten years somewhere. Not sure. Was he a few, couple years old? Was he eight years old? We're not sure. But after he, uh, after he's uh, told to return, once again he has another dream encounter. But we're not told if this was going to be from truly an angel or from, from God himself. He got busy. He went back to the land of Israel, the promised land. Then in verses 22 and 23, when he, Joseph, heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside to the region of Galilee. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Herod was brutal and ruthless and wicked. And Archelaus was like his father. He was guilty of brutality. He murdered thousands in his short reign. In fact, he, he was so brutal and caused so much strife, the Jewish people of Israel went to Rome and said, Please give us relief and so his he was his Rome took him out of office sent him away but while he was there like i said if you look on a bible map okay so jerusalem is here and that's where judea is idumea is below samaria is above that whole region was under archelaus so you and that's the only other region left in israel is galilee so it's kind of like sometimes you're trying to make a decision and just, well, we can't do this, we can't do this, we can't do this. That leaves Galilee. And so um, he's told by God, don't go, go, don't go to Judea, don't go back to Bethlehem, go to Galilee. And it came to a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So why did he go to Nazareth? Um, Well, that was their hometown, and it made sense. If you're going to go to Galilee, you might as well go where you know people, though that wasn't easy, and that was all fulfilling prophecy. And so with this, we see the angels busily at work, caring for God's people. It's their privilege. They're not our saviors, but they have the privilege of announcing salvation, and they have the privilege of protecting the plan. Later on, if you were free through the gospels, you'll find that even as Jesus is going through hardship, for example, in the Garden of Gethsemane, angels minister to him. And so these angels found it a great privilege to protect and preserve. They're set to care and for God's people and protect them. And that fits Hebrews 1 4. Speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who shall inherit salvation? Angels were caring for God's people. Speaking to to the likes of a Joseph and saying, don't divorce Mary. Do marry her. Name her child. Protect your child. Watch over your child. Angels were busy... And that shows you how wonderful the birth of this child is and how important he is. Gabriel announces the message. Angels are are monitoring and protecting. I read an account that I thought was interesting about angels. Uh, A pastor and Bible uh, author and preacher, uh, Robert Morgan, says, uh, years ago I popped into a hotel elevator and found myself standing beside the famous Christian rider and Nazi death camp survivor, Corrie ten Boom. That would be an interesting elevator ride. Sometimes it, it's okay to look around and see who else is in the elevator. I recognized her at once, having read her books and seen her on television. When I introduced myself, instead of giving me a usual greeting, she squinted at me as only an old woman can squint. No one here would know what that looks like. And with a Dutch accent, she said, young man, have you ever seen an angel? That's a great way to start an elevator conversation. No, I replied, startled, not that I know of. Well, I have, she declared. And in the time of our our elevator took to reach the bottom floor, she told me of a time when she was smuggling Bibles into communist Eastern Europe. The border guard was checking everyone's luggage and she knew her load of Bibles would surely be discovered. In alarm, she prayed, Lord, You have said that you would watch over your word. Now, please, watch over your word that I'm smuggling. Suddenly, as she looked at her suitcase, it seemed to glow with light. No one else saw it, but to her it was unmistakable. There was an aura of light wrapped around that suitcase. Her term came at the customs, and the guard, who had so vigilantly opened and inspected every piece of everyone else's luggage, glanced at her bags, shrugged, and waved her through. It was an angel, she told me who had helped her deliver God's word behind the iron curtain. So you never know how it might appear. The angels see God's glory as they watch the saints. See, this is the thing. They're having the joy of serving the Lord, and they're fulfilling their task, and learning and seeing God glorified. So when they see a Zechariah, they're a little troubled. When they see Mary and her quick faith and obedience, God's glorified when they see Joseph right out of bed, busy about God's work, that God is glorified. And so that's a good question. How do, what do they see when they look at us? Well, Ephesians 3.10 sees of how God is, is working his plan of salvation that the, the manifest wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. See, God wants to show his glory to the angels through us. So often people say, oh, it must be incredible to see an angel at work. The angels think it's incredible to see a believer at work, trusting God and obeying him. And so their hearts were warmed and thrilled to see a Mary and to see a Joseph, a couple of humble people from a humble town, Doing God's work. Well, one last group, the angels came to the shepherds. So we've seen them to speaking to Zechariah, Gabriel there, to Zechariah and Mary. We've seen the angelic dreams, and now we see the, the shepherds. Verse, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 and following, starting at 8. Now there were in the same country of Bethlehem. Shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. There's that fear again, because now they see the angels, and they're afraid of them. An angel. We don't know who this one is. It's, we're not told if it's Gabriel. We're not sure if it's the same one that was in the dreams Joseph had, but it's an angel. And he came and spoke to shepherds in the field. And again, that sounds, you know, we think of the glory of the whole thing. You would sing Gloria and all that sort of thing. But to the angels, they saw these men for the humble ones they were. It was a humble place. Bethlehem was a small town. I I, I did some looking, and an archaeologist by the name of W.F. Albright, who was considered one of the great, great uh, biblical archaeologists of a previous generation, he estimated the population of Bethlehem was about 300. And so that's, I would call that a small town, a humble place. And the shepherds, they're, humble, they're not even in the small town. They're, they're out in the outskirts around it. Shepherds were humble people. They weren't, they weren't royalty. They weren't wealthy. A lot of them were hired laborers, but they, they weren't the upper class. They weren't the mighty ones. They were humble people, humble working men. They weren't men of influence. The angels uh, th- that came to them left glory and, uh, of heaven to come to this podunk town with some humble shepherds. By the way, this is the first time uh, we will see, it says the glory of the Lord shone around these angels, um, around the shepherds. That's the first time you see the glory of the Lord associated with angels in this this whole situation. Verse 10, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Notice, he is not saying what will happen, but what has happened and what they should do. The baby is already born. He's already lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And your job is to go and find him. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. What an experience for these men. In the dark of night, suddenly there was this radiant light of this one angel that caught their attention and they're being told that, that the Christ is born in Bethlehem. And then the night exploded with a host of these radiant um, angels. The heaven, a multitude of the heavenly host. That word host, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you the Greek word, it's stratia. That sounds like strategy. The, the, it's a military term. There was an army of angels. Now, if you go to the typical Christmas play, that army of angels is maybe six people in white bathrobes. I don't think we are doing justice to the scene. When I think of an army, you know, you, you think of uh, you, you think uncountable numbers. Think of some of the military parades, a, a vast number. As their commander-in-chief has just been born. But a vast number of glorious beings, the, the, the night just erupting. Can you imagine what that meant to these, these shepherds? Can you imagine what it meant to the angels? i, I mentioned these military parades. Again, if you watched recently the, the, the funeral service for the Queen of England. It seemed, you know, hours of all kinds of different military. Every one of them had a different uniform, didn't they? And they marched and marched and marched. And I, and I thought sometimes watching them, I, I thought of the soldiers carrying that, that heavy casket. Probably for the rest of their life, they would have the privilege of saying, you know, I was one of the six who carried the queen to her final resting place. And they would always count that one of the greatest honors of their life. I, I was called to come and march in London. I was one of the ones pulling the rope that, that pulled her, her, her carriage along on the streets. And I can, you know, you can just see them later And what's the greatest thing you did. Well, I fought in this country. I fought, but I was there to honor the queen. And I think these angels of the same way are saying, This is incredible. God has taken on himself humanity. Remember, they have been in his presence from the beginning of their creation. For thousands of years, they've been worshiping the Lord, the the Son of God, worshiping him and honoring him to now see him become a crying baby in Bethlehem. They want to put on a display of his glory and the Father will only say, well, you can show it to some shepherds. And so they do. What, What a choir that made. We remember we mentioned in in, in Job it says that this the the sons of God that the angels sang at creation, and now they're singing at the incarnation. What that must have been like! How the heavens must have truly been ringing! And and think of what how these shepherds were just, you know, every single chin was on the ground as they're just marveling at what they were watching. But imagine the angels! I got to be in the choir at Bethlehem. I wonder if we'll meet some of these. Uh, and they'll say, you know, you read about the angels singing? I was one of those. Were you alto or soprano? Well, I, oh, I was, a, you know, but, but just imagine their joy and wanting to make sure somebody got the significance of what was happening here. And then, then we're told they, they went back to heaven. So it was when the angels had gone away from them and to heaven, The shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They recognized the angels were sent by the Lord. And so once again, what do we see? They believe and they obey to the glory of God. Again, when I look at these passages, I just think of the angels marveling marveling to see God's grace. God's grace in their lives was to keep them from falling and from joining the rebellion. God's grace in our life is the restoration of rebels and how they must have marveled and wondered at what it cost the Lord they worshipped to take upon himself humanity. And to live in these humble places and serve among sinful people only to be rejected. How they must have marveled again things into which the angels long to study. Uh, uh, I was reading some words from one of my friends, Mr. Spurgeon. And here's what he said in thinking about this encounter. What is the instructive lesson to be learned from this first syllable of the angel's song? Why this, that salvation is God's highest glory. He is glorified in every dewdrop that twinkles to the morning sun. Though creation may be a majestic organ of praise, it cannot reach the compass of the golden canticle, Incarnation. There's more in that than in creation, more melody in Jesus in the major than there is in worlds on worlds rolling their grandeur around the throne of the Most High. Do you ever stop, especially on some of these cool, crisp nights, to just go out and just, I, I, my neck gets sore looking up at the stars and seeing its glory. Nothing like the glory of what happened in Bethlehem. And so these angels who have been worshiping in God's presence for all their existence flew happily to Bethlehem and said, We have to celebrate a great spectacle of God's grace taking on humanity, born as a child, coming to die for sinners. So the angels were told they rejoice every time one person trusts in Christ to save you. They marvel at the riches of grace in the gospel. And so to the angels, Christmas was one of the great glories of their experience. God showing his, veiling his majesty to dwell among us. If the angels can marvel, can lift their voice in song, can wonder, how much more should we? And the angels, of course, have no part in the salvation they proclaimed, but but we can. And one of the messages of the Christmas season is God came to die for sinners, that they might have life with him. And if you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the message you need to hear. Christ died for sinners and offers you salvation and forgiveness. If you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, just think, you could start a party in heaven by trusting in him. For those of us who know the Savior, may we be challenged by what the angels delighted in. Believing obedience. Those who know the Lord obey the Lord with joy. Father, thank you for the examples we see before us. I pray that we might follow these examples and Father, may we follow the example of these angels wondering with delight at your grace. For I pray it in Jesus' name